According to Mike Bickle, there are 150 chapters in the Bible that the main topic of the chapter is about the generation or the time when Jesus returns. I didn't go count those myself. I'm just going to take his word for it. But there's 150 chapters in the Bible that the main topic is, is the time when Jesus returns. Uh, something I did check out and I know to be true is that not a single one of them mentions Oregon. The United States is actually not specifically mentioned in any of them. Uh, the geographic context of every chapter and verse about the return of Jesus is Israel, and Jerusalem. And I suppose that most of you know what happened yesterday. It was Friday night for us, but Saturday morning in Israel and Jerusalem. So it was their Sabbath, and it wasn't just any Sabbath. It was the final culminating Sabbath of the Feast of Tabernacles, it's supposed to be the greatest day of celebration and singing and dancing on the Jewish calendar. Hamas launched a terrorist attack um, with rockets and parachutes and power gliders and all sorts of stuff, people coming into Israel and the death tolls up to 250, which may sound like a small number, but it's the largest terrorist attack in Israel in decades. And if you compare, think about the fact that Israel has a population 45 times smaller than the United States, um, this terrorist attack dwarfs 9-11 yeah. in their context compared to ours. And you remember how we felt yeah. at 9-11. So this quarrel goes back 3,200 years. And you may think that something 3,000 years ago doesn't affect me, but it does. Um, every Muslim terrorist attack in the last 200 years is directly related to Abraham and Ishmael and Isaac. And the two kingdoms that are, that are fighting, and the Palestinians say that it's their land, and the Israeli Jews say that it's their land, and I just want to show you what God has to say about that. In Genesis 13, it says that Abram lived in the land of Canaan, and Canaan is on both sides of the Jordan River, exactly where the modern nation of Israel is today. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, and the Lord said to Abram, lift up your eyes from where you are, and look north and south and east and west, and all the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. How long? Forever. forever. Go and walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. God gave it to Abraham as a gift, as his inheritance from the Lord. Later on in Genesis chapter 15, it says, On the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land, from the river of Egypt, that's the Nile River, to the great river, the river Euphrates, that's the river in the center of Iraq. So everything from the Nile River to the Euphrates River, God says, was Abraham's and his descendants. In Exodus 23, God speaking to Moses, he said, I will establish your borders from the Red Sea to the Mediterranean Sea and from the desert, that's the Saudi Arabian, to the Euphrates River. And I will hand over to you the people who live in the land and I will drive them out before you. So here is a map of the land that God promised to Abraham and to Moses and to Joshua. The Jewish people have never possessed or governed all of that land. Solomon's kingdom was almost that large. 
the territory that Solomon had government over was probably two-thirds of that area. But then it began to shrink because of the people's wickedness and God's judgment on their sin. But the country of Israel today is just a tiny fraction of that, the gray section in between the green of Egypt and Lebanon and Syria, and, and then even in what is the borders of Syria, there's the Gaza Strip and the West Bank that are, have been given to the government of the Palestinians. And it's just, as you know, uh, it's just been a mess since, well, for a couple hundred years, but particularly since World War II, um, after what the Nazis did in Europe, there was some agreement amongst world leaders that the Jewish people needed their own government, their own state, their own place to live, so that that type of Holocaust would never happen again, and the nation of Israel was created out of what had been the Ottoman Empire before World War I, what had been governed by the British as the Palestinian state, and it's just been a history of bloodshed since. But 16 times God says to Israel, the land I have given you. It belongs to the Jewish people. God gave them specific boundaries, and he said, this is your land forever. And it wasn't indiscriminate. They weren't allowed to just take whatever. When the Joshua was leading them in the promised land, they weren't allowed to just take over whoever they wanted to fight. Two times God tells them, you can't have this piece of the land. Let's look at Deuteronomy 2. God is speaking uh, to Moses, and he says, give these people the, these orders. You're about to pass through the territory of your brothers, the descendants of Esau, who live in Seir. And they will be afraid of you, but be very careful. Do not provoke them to war, for I will not give you any of their land, not even enough to put your foot on. I have given Esau the hill country of Seir as their own, and you are to pay them in silver for the food you eat and the water you drink. So I'm just showing you this. So the descendants of Esau are cousins of the descendants of Jacob. The Jews are the descendants of Jacob. And uh, the Edomites are Esau's family, and so they're, they're literal cousins um, in these nations that live next to each other. And God says, you can't have their land. You don't fight them. You don't take any of their property, and you pay them for whatever you use as you pass through. My only point is that um, when Israel went into the promised land, God gave them specific borders and boundaries and locations. This is yours, not this. All right. Uh, later on, a couple of verses later, God says this, and so uh, Moses is recounting. He says, so we went on past our brothers, the descendants of Esau, who live in Seir, and we turned from the Arabah road, and we traveled along the desert road to Moab. And the Lord said to me, do not harass the Moabites or provoke them to war, for I will not give you any part of their land. I have given Ar, what we would now call Arabia, to the descendants of Lot as a possession. Lot was also a cousin nation. Lot was a nephew of Abraham and and so they were distantly related, and they knew that. But I, my, again, my point is just to say that God didn't say, here, just walk into the promised land and kill willy-nilly and take all the land you want. But God says specific boundaries. And, and I showed you that map where that's at. So in Deuteronomy eleven twenty four, God tells Moses, Every place on which the sole of your foot treads shall be yours. From the wilderness and Lebanon, from the river the river Euphrates, even to the western sea, that's the Mediterranean, shall be yours. God has established it as an eternal covenant with the Jewish people. 
So regardless of world politics or Middle East peace talks or any treaties or terrorist attacks, the land belongs to the Jews. Period. It's theirs. And when Jesus returns to the earth, he will descend from heaven to Jerusalem, to the earthly city of Jerusalem. When I was a kid, I pictured Jesus parting the clouds out of the sky and coming down into our backyard. (laughs) And... That's just how I pictured it. And so every time I saw a light shaft shining through the clouds, my heart would skip a beat. (gasps) Jesus is on the way. All right. The Bible says the whole earth will see it because it's going to be quite an event. It will be a a solar system-wide entourage. Um, But Jesus, the man, Jesus, the human man, will return to Jerusalem. His entourage will be with him and it will cover the whole globe. And the glory of the event will be brighter than any nuclear bomb. But um, he's not returning to Legrand. He's coming to Jerusalem because he is a Jewish man. And he still is a Jewish human man, the son of David coming to take his throne. He rules in heaven now as the son of God. In the city of God that the Bible calls the New Jerusalem, we just generally refer to it as heaven. But he will rule on earth as the son of David in the earthly Jerusalem. And all authority has been given to Jesus Christ in both realms, heaven and earth. For reference, Ephesians 1, Matthew 28, Philippians 2, Colossians 1, and 1 Corinthians 15. But I just want to show you these three verses. Start in Matthew 25. Jesus is speaking about himself. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, he will sit on the throne of his glory, and all the nations will be gathered before him. When Jesus returns, he will sit on his throne. And where is that? Jeremiah 3, at that time, Jerusalem will be called the throne of the Lord. Jesus says, when I return, I will sit on my throne. Where is the throne of God? Jerusalem. It's the spiritual throne of God. It's the spiritual capital of the universe. And it is the capital of the earth. I don't understand why. There's a lot prettier places. But it's called the Holy Land and the Promised Land for a reason. And there's a reason why more blood has been shed within a few hundred miles of that city than all the rest of the world put together for all of human history. It's because it's the place God loves. It's the place Abraham loved. It's the place David loved. And it's the place the Bible praises. At that time, Jerusalem shall be called the throne of the Lord, and all the nations shall be gathered to it, to the name of the Lord, to Jerusalem. Jesus will physically return to take his throne in Jerusalem and sit on the throne of his father David and all of the nations will be gathered to us. All of us will get a a free instant translation trip to Jerusalem (laughs) 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 to go and praise Jesus, to worship him, to honor him and to be judged by him. Every one of us will go through all of that, all of the nations, but we won't stop being Orionians. We're going to stop speaking English. Jesus inherits every nation, tribe, and tongue, and language. Yeah? But we're all going to be gathered to Jesus. Where? In Jerusalem. In the next verse, Revelation 22, 3, the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and the it is Jerusalem, in the context of where that verse comes from. So Jesus is returning to Jerusalem, and the God of this world, the king of this world, knows that. So, he's doing all he can to delay his own annihilation. In the same way 
that last week I read to you that the Egyptian Christians, the families of the men they beheaded on the beaches in Libya, they didn't blame the ISIS terrorists, they blamed the devil. I don't blame Hamas Palestinians for what happened yesterday. I blame Satan. The Bible says they have been taken captive to do his will. And our response is grace and forgiveness and love and the gospel to anyone and everyone, Jew and Palestinian. But Satan has to, or he thinks he can, but he can't, stop the Jewish nation from possessing Jerusalem and their land because it's a key to the return of Jesus. So his end time, Satan's end time strategy is to permanently control Jerusalem by deceiving Israel into making a peace treaty with the Antichrist. 3,000 years ago, Daniel prophesied the Middle East peace talks and that Israel would make a treaty not with their Messiah, but with a false Messiah. Someone who will ultimately turn on them and make them worship him instead of Jesus. He's all, Satan's also trying to kill every member of the Jewish race. It didn't begin in World War II, but that was by far the largest number. But he's still trying. And he's working overtime to make sure that the Jews are offended with Jesus and Christians so that they won't, so that Galatians will not happen. Galatians says, when the Jewish people turn to Jesus, the church will become one perfect man, Jew and Gentile. So Satan's doing all he can to keep the Jews from controlling their promised land and from owning Jerusalem because Jesus has to return to Jerusalem as a Jewish king. They have to invite him back. In fact, Jesus said that. You won't see me again until you bless me. Speaking to the Jewish people. And in Acts 3, Peter says, Heaven has, must retain Jesus until the restoration of all things. So, Jesus can't come back until the Jewish people invite him to come and be their king. And Satan knows that, so he's doing everything to keep that from happening. But here's what God says about that in Romans 11. I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. If you're not familiar with the terms, um, uh, the term Gentile, that's anybody that isn't Jewish. That's their term for anybody that's outside of their ethnic group. So that's most people here. Maybe some of you have some Jewish ethnic heritage history. Um, probably a lot of more of us do than we know. Um, actually, I, I think when God says, through your seed, I will bless every nation, I, I think actually probably all of us do. But it's not the main expression of our ethnicity or our history, um, and they call us Gentiles. So that's the word the Bible uses, because Paul is writing as a Jewish man, and he's referring to us. Here he says that blindness has happened by the will of God and the purposes of God. For the most part, not very many Jews believed in Jesus in his day, nor in the last 2,000 years. 
Israel has been known since it was recreated in the 40s as a missionary graveyard because they just, they just are anti-Christ. That's changing. That's changing. The Spirit of God is moving. But blindness has happened in part, not in totality, but in part, so that the fullness of the Gentiles can come in, so that the gospel would go around the globe and that all of our nations, including United States, amen, can come in. But all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. And for this is my covenant with them that I take away their sins. Concerning the gospel, they, that's Jewish people, concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But concerning the election, God's choosing, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. And he means Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Concerning the gospel, there's been enmity, there's been a lot of trouble between Christians and Jews, particularly in Europe and the Middle East, for 2,000 years. The Jewish people really do have a lot to forgive Christians for. I don't know how much history you know about the Inquisition and, and just evil, evil stuff that happened in the Crusades and the, his, the history of the relationship of Christians and Jews is, is really terrible. And we have been enemies because we, meaning Christians, historically have not treated them well at all, but also because they are enemies of Christ. That's what this passage says. And uh, Derek Prince, who married an Israeli woman and moved to Israel um, for a couple of decades, said, really, he said, there is no Jewish religion anymore. If you go to a synagogue, what you will hear is a rabbi preaching on how Jesus is not the Christ. He said the definition of religion in Israel is, is anti-Christism. So there's nothing left with their temple or their sacrifices or their teaching the Torah. It's just every Saturday morning at the, at the synagogue, it is Jesus is not the Messiah. Jesus is not the Messiah. They are enemies. But that's going to change. Because concerning election, concerning God's mysterious eternal choices... I love these people, even though they rejected my son. I love them because of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There's family. And I promised Abraham that his descendants would be saved. For the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. For as you were once disobedient to God, Paul says, you know what? It's not just the Jewish people. All of you were. He's writing to Christians. Every single one of us was rebellious and antichrist and hateful and full of sin. Yet now you have obtained mercy through their disobedience. Paul says it actually works out for your salvation that they rejected their Messiah. Because he becomes the Messiah of every nation, tongue, and tribe. Through their disobedience, you obtain mercy. Even so, these also have now been disobedient, that through the mercy shown you, they may also obtain mercy. The nation of Israel, the ethnic people we call the Jews... All of them will come to Jesus Christ through the gospel of the church. See that? Through the mercy shown you, they will also obtain mercy. Because we obtain mercy through them, they obtain mercy through us. And God committed, has committed all of us to disobedience that he might have mercy on all of us. Praise God. Nobody gets to judge anybody else. Everybody just gets to forgive everybody else. Well, because Satan knows God's plan, and Jesus knows God's plan, and the church knows God's plan, 
But uh, there's a lot of people that don't and are playing into Satan's will. There's going to occur a time of tremendous trouble between now and then. We have been in what the Bible calls the last days since Jesus departed. For 2,000 years, we've been in the last days. The only thing I know about the timeline of that is today is closer than yesterday. But there will come a time when a terrorist attack like what happened yesterday will seem small. Daniel 12, speaking to his own people, the Jews of Israel, at that time, there shall be a time of trouble such as never was. And Matthew 24, Jesus speaking, says, There will be great tribulation such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor shall ever be. And in Jeremiah 30, verse 7, Jeremiah says, For that day is great, so that none is like it. It is the time of Jacob's trouble. What we generally call the tribulation, that the church has gotten obsessed with in seasons and times, is centered in Jerusalem. It's, it's centered around the nation of Israel. I'm not saying that the United States won't have trouble. It's not that we don't today. We, we have trouble. And I also think that uh, the Bible says we're living in the last days since Paul wrote and Peter wrote those words 2,000 years ago. And there have been a lot of people for 2,000 years say, oh, this is it, this is it, this is the end, this is, this is the great tribulation. And, and for them it was. Remember back to the fourth turning thing that we talked about two years ago. For them it was. And um, revelation applies in every generation. And it's fulfilled over and over again until it's ultimately fulfilled in the end. But but Satan isn't just going to lie down and let God establish his plans. And let Jesus come back and be king. I just think um, it behooves us to understand, to mentally and emotionally accept the fact that things, particularly in the Middle East, but over the whole globe, are going to get really, really rough. Jesus emphasized this in Matthew 24. And he said, it will get so bad that if I didn't shorten this time to three and a half years, no one would live through it. That's a pretty big statement. Matthew 24, there will be great tribulation such as never been in the beginning of the world, nor shall ever be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. The last three and a half years before Jesus returns are, the Bible makes it very clear, God pulls no punches. And Jesus doesn't care about our timidity. <laughs> Say, I'm with you. You will overcome. No one's smiling at me. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> Jesus believes in us and he's in us and he, he knows his plans for his church and he pulls no punches and he doesn't, he doesn't hold back. From telling us the truth, it's going to be it's going to be really bad. I have no idea when, on the timeline of Earth, this might happen. Is it going to start next year, or is it a hundred years from now, or is it five hundred years from now? I don't know. 
I have my guesses, but everybody that's guessed has been wrong, so I won't. Maybe I'll just say a little bit. I don't know. But Revelation 9 says that, uh, says that a third of humanity will die during this time. Zechariah promises the people in Israel that half of them will be taken into captivity or killed. Why am I telling you this this morning? What I hope to communicate here is that an, an awareness that things like these terrorist attacks, wars and rumors of wars and these, this wrangling over the Holy Land and Jerusalem is only going to increase and that we are not moved by that because we have heard Jesus ahead of time. This is what's going to happen. It's unavoidable. So just decide right now in your heart of hearts, I'm walking with Jesus no matter what. And the church, we have lots of promises that I don't have time to go into today, but the church has lots of promises that that not in our political or government or economic or physical situation, but in our spiritual situation, we will grow brighter and brighter and brighter to the point that the thing that trips the trigger that makes Israel call on the name of Jesus as their Messiah and their King and ask for his salvation, when all the nations gather around them and all the hatred and the attacks, the thing that trips the trigger is jealousy of the church. Like, that, that dude's supposed to be our Messiah. And we see him in the church. We see him in Christians' lives. They have power. They have peace. They have faith. They're overcoming. And we're getting tromped. It's, back in, it's, it's in Romans 11. The thing that makes Israel finally accept and believe Jesus as their, their Messiah is how great things are in the church i don't think i don't think in any way that that means that we're going to be immune from suffering in the physical world but the faith of the church and the beauty of the church and the calmness and the miraculous power and the unity and our support for israel and our support for israel will make them jealous Romans and Hebrews both speak of us being added to the family of Abraham. Romans 11, Paul uses the language of a tree that's had branches grafted on it and that each individual, one of us and us as a whole, the church has been grafted on to Abraham, that he's the root of faith and that we're added to his story. We're in, our, we're in his family he is our father. So what happens in Israel with his physical descendants should matter to us. Not to take sides against the Palestinians or Muslims or in any sort of hateful way, but the Jews are our family. Literally. In, in spirit and in the flesh, they are our family. And so God tells us this. Thanks. Quote from Mike Bickle. Scripture insists, 
that the church stand with God's purposes for Israel. It is a litmus test for our obedience. The highest issue in serving God's purpose for Israel is obeying Jesus' sovereign leadership. We love him, and therefore we want to do what he does and love what he loves. And he loves Israel. It's his home country. You love your home country. I hope you do. Jesus is patriotic for Israel. It's his home. It's his people. It's his nation. And it's our nation because we're added to the family of Abraham. So Psalm 122.6 says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And then the next half of the verse says that those who love Jerusalem will prosper. Because it's the city God loves. In Isaiah 40, last verse, God tells us, Comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. So I just want to finish out our time this morning by doing that. I want to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. I want to speak comfort and salvation to the Jewish people in Jesus' name. Will you do that with me? Let's go there. All right. Father God, we ask in Jesus' name for the peace of Jerusalem. Lord, we ask for physical peace on the ground right now, that the shooting would stop, that the rockets would stop. I believe it's yet less this morning than yesterday, but, but whatever's going on there, Lord, the indiscriminate shooting in the street, killing women and children and kidnapping people, and in Jesus' name, we say stop it all. Lord, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem and Israel. Lord, I pray that your will would be done and your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we don't pretend to know your timeline, but we do know your will. And your will is that Israel possesses the promised land that you gave to Abraham and his descendants forever. And we know it's your will that your son be seated on the throne of his father David physically and earthly ruling from Jerusalem. So we say your kingdom come and your will be done. Lord, I pray for those that have been taken captive by hate, those blinded by unbelief to do the will of the devil. I pray that you would save them in Jesus' name. Lord, I know there are many Palestinian Christians. There are many Syrian Christians. I've heard them speak about how hard it is to forgive Israel. But in Christ, we've all been picked. We've all been chosen. So, Lord, I pray for your church in Palestine. I pray for your church in Syria and Lebanon, for the secret Christians in Saudi Arabia, for our brothers and sisters in Egypt, all the nations that surround Israel, Lord. I pray that your will would be done. Lord, you said you would join Syria and Egypt with Israel with a highway of holiness and that all of Egypt would be saved and all of Syria would be saved. Lord, you've made some dramatic promises that have not yet come true. We are in for some really awesome stuff. Will we receive your word, Lord, that we're also in for a storm of satanic hatred? So we commit ourselves again to Jesus Christ. We pledge allegiance to the Lamb. Lord, only by your Spirit can we overcome. Only by your Spirit 
can the nation of Israel overcome. We bless your people. We want to be a blessing to Jerusalem. Lord, I pray that you would forgive and mend the conflict and the hatred and the murder that's happened between Christians and Jews, between Muslims and Jews. Lord, may your church and your gospel shine bright. And may your people live in such faith and love and unity and Holy Spirit power that we trigger that jealousy of the Jewish people that they would willingly, gladly call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as their Messiah. We speak comfort, comfort to your people. And we prophesy that your warfare is ended and your iniquity has been pardoned. Call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.